I want to ask you the question this morning, what prevents us, what prevents you from being the ones whom God uses? What prevents us from being the ones who God uses? If we look in the Bible, God always used people that were the underdogs. God always used a band of misfits strung together, picking up guys from different backgrounds, guys of different levels of education, guys of different levels of of issues and struggles and, and ethical problems. God picks a band of misfits, he throws them together, and he changes the world. That's what God does. If God could, could change the world through 12 misfits that he picked up along the road by putting his spirit in them and, and giving them a vision for the church and for the future of this world, then how much more could he do through us this morning? Come on, let's not underestimate what God wants to do through our lives. Let's not underestimate how God wants to use us. Why not us? Why not us? Why can we not be a part of shaping the city and and influencing this generation? When people talk about these years in the future, they'll say, but there was a church, anchor church, started in Johannesburg, and this is what God did. This is how God used them. I believe that God has incredible things in store for us, and I want to help encourage your faith this morning. When we were in the Chobe, um, it's a big river that crosses through past Namibia and Botswana and, uh, and, and parts of Zambia as well, just this massive river. And we were, we were, on the, we were in a boat uh, on the Chobe River, and there was this herd of elephants on the one side. And in this herd, they had these, these little babies, uh, baby elephants. And but what they basically do is they cross the river. And as they're crossing the river, uh, the, the river is so deep, especially for the babies, that they obviously have to go right under the water. And all you see is this little trunk sticking up like a snorkel, just kind of going along this baby elephant as, it, as it's crossing the river. But right in the front of this herd was one big bull elephant. And uh, it was so funny when he came out of the water because the water line came just under his eye and made this kind of stripe. So he was like black beneath and, and white up on top uh, from the dust and, and, and as he walked through. And, and I, was, I was just thinking about that picture. When you look at that little baby elephant that's tripping over its own feet and, and you know, struggling to get through the river, you cannot imagine that that small thing will one day become like that massive elephant that just, that just walks through the Chobe River without even having to go under the water. It's so hard sometimes when you see a little child like Tyler this morning that we dedicated, you, you look at him, it's so hard to imagine the great things that God can do through his life. It requires vision to see it. It requires vision to see it. And when we are here as a church, it's so easy for us to think about what we have right now and and, and who we are right now and go, how will God use us to reach thousands? How will God use us? How will God do this? How will God do that? And how will God fulfill His purpose through just us? Is He really going to use me? You see, the problem sometimes for us when it's a small church plant like we are right now is that you feel so exposed because you're like, who's going to do the job? Hang on a minute. Are you, do you actually mean me? People are so used to going to church and then sitting in the back and they're going, well, the pastors do the work and, and the, the staff does the work and the people do the work up there. You know, those guys that are really faithful and really strong and really know God and I just come on Sundays. That's all I'm doing. You know, when we're a part of a movement like this, every single one of us plays a role. And so you kind of look to the left, you look to the right, and you're like, it's me. I'm the one who's going to, who God is going to use 
to reach these people. And if we're going to do that, we have to believe in who we are in Christ. We have to know who we are in Christ. We have to believe. We've been talking about this um, over the last few weeks. We've spoken about your hidden life, who you are in Christ. We shared the message, your hidden life. Then we shared a message, you have everything, speaking about how we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places through Jesus. We spoke about the exchanged life, how it's not your goodness that, uh, that qualifies you, but it's the life that God gives you that qualifies you to do everything that God has called you to do. And so we've spoken about these messages, and, uh, and, 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 and we, we've spoken about you knowing who you are in Christ. And so again, my question is this morning, what prevents you? What is currently preventing you from laying a hold of everything that God has for you? What currently prevents you from living the life that God has called you to live? From reaching the people, from fulfilling your purpose and your destiny? How do you see yourself? How do you see God? These are such pertinent questions. I want us to go to Acts chapter number 8. This is the text that I'm going to read to you this morning. Acts chapter number 8 and verse 26. And I'm going to go through a story in Acts 8 from 26 to to verse 40 um, regarding Philip uh, who went around uh, sharing the gospel and was used mightily by God and I'm going to read this story about how he comes to an Ethiopian eunuch and and shares the gospel with him. So so let's read it together. If you have your Bibles with you, Acts 8, verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. I love how it's just God speaks. He just gets up and he goes. God's like, I want to send you out into the desert. Okay, God, I'm going. I'm on my way. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the, of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. We don't know exactly uh, how this Ethiopian eunuch uh, came, uh, if he was a convert to Judaism or if he was just a very pious man or a religious man. We don't know more about him other than that he is an Ethiopian eunuch who travels to Jerusalem to worship there. And on his way back, sitting in his chariot, he's obviously very wealthy, he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. So it says in verse 29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. So this is actually what he's sitting there. He's sitting there in this chariot. He's reading the, 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 this, the scroll of Isaiah. And this is what the, the passage is that he's reading. He says, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. That's what he's reading in Isaiah. And the eunuch said to Philip, verse 34, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? 
Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, the, through he preached the gospel to all the towns and he, until he came to Caesarea. Azotus was about 60 kilometers away uh, from the location that they were in. So miraculously, God just moves him to another place. And, uh, and, and, and here we have this encounter uh, and, and I love that question that the Ethiopian eunuch asked, and it's the title of my message this morning, What Prevents Me? What Prevents Me? Here's some water. What Prevents Me? Let's just go ahead and pray this morning, and, uh, and once we're done praying, um, we, can, we can look at this text uh, a little bit more. Let's, let's just close our eyes. Jesus, we thank you so much this morning that your freedom is here, that your liberty is here, that your grace is here that your presence is here. God, we are so uh, incapable, God, of laying a hold of everything in our own strength. Father, we are so fragile and so fickle in our own minds and hearts. But Jesus, we know that you are the one who encourages us to have faith. And this morning we pray that you would impart faith as a, as a spiritual impartation this morning to every one of us, God that we would have vision for our future as a church and vision for our families, vision for our individual lives. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So we want as a church, uh, I said this yesterday at the baptisms, and, um, and I really mean this when I say this, that as a church, we want every single one of you to fulfill the calling of God on your life. We want you to Walk in the fullness of what God has called you to. To never be held back, to never believe the lies of the devil that you're not good enough or that you're not qualified enough or that you're not equipped enough, but that you would truly discover everything that God has created you for. And that's why we say that church is not just an event that you attend. It's a journey with a group of people. And we, we want a journey with every one of you. We want to see you discipled and see you equipped. And we want to see Anchor Church fulfill the role that God has for us in this generation. You know, in the, in the book of Corinthians, it tells us that God has given every one of us a scope. We're not here to compete with other churches. We, we love other churches. And we, Anchor Church is not about Anchor Church. We want to partner with all the other churches in our city doing great work and in our nation. But God has given us a sphere of influence. He's given us a specific message. He's given us a specific approach, a specific culture. And we want to dominate that field. We have a vision for what God wants to do through us. And there's no way that we want to stop short or be held back in doing that. Every single week, when we come to church, whether it's me preaching or Chris preaching or anybody else preaching, we share the gospel. In every single message, there's no message that you'll ever hear me preach where I won't share the gospel with you. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said, any message that doesn't have Christ as the beginning, middle, and end is a, is a, is a mistake in its creation and a crime in its execution. Something along those lines. 
And every week, when, 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 when you guys arrive here on Sunday, we're encourage, encouraging you again and again and again in the gospel. That you're not qualified because of what you have done. You're not qualified because of how good you are. You're not qualified because of how many church services you have attended. You're not qualified because of how many hours of prayer you have put in, even though those are good things. You're qualified by what Jesus has done for you on the cross. You're qualified by the finished work of the cross through Jesus. Every week we say, it's not about you or what you can do. It's about Jesus and about what Jesus has done for us and is going to do through us, right? Is everybody with me this morning? This is such an important thing. We need to just understand the gospel. Because I feel like so much of what we do in church can simply become pedestrian. And I'm here to challenge you a little bit this morning. As, as someone who, who wants to pastor you in your life and, and love you and disciple you and help you achieve everything that God has for you, there are moments when I'm just going to support you and love you, and there are moments when I'm going to challenge you. And this morning is maybe a little bit more on the challenge side, because it's so easy, as for, so easy for us to become spectators in church, pedestrians in church. It's like going to watch a movie uh, Sundays to us can be, can be like going to watch a movie. You know what those feel-good movies? We all love those feel-good movies. Like the 90s had the best feel-good movies ever. And we can go into that movie. And I remember so many times you sit down and, uh, and, you, and you watch this movie and you get inspired. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to change my life and I'm going to live more like that. And I can clearly remember so many times. You know when you walk out of the cinema and you walk through that little tunnel. And as you're going through the tunnel and everybody's kind of quiet. But you just know everyone's inspired. Everyone's inspired. It's like everybody just wants to hug and high five and talk about how they're going to change the world, right? And sometimes uh, church can be like that. We come in here and we're like, it's going to be a great movie. It's going to be a great message. It's going to be a great time of worship. We're going to be inspired. We're going to walk down those steps and we're going to go, yeah, my life is going to be different. I'm going to live differently. But just like in those movies, normally the feeling fades after a few hours. You might wake up the next morning and go, yes, I remember I was so inspired yesterday to change my life. But it usually only lasts a maximum of two or three days and you're back to living your normal kind of life. And sometimes if we approach church in the wrong way, if, if, we, if we come here just to receive a little bit of a, of a bump up on our Sundays, just so that we make sure that we are inspired for the week, uh, we can miss out on the fullness of what God has for us. We can miss out. It's like watching the Springboks. Last night, we had a better week than the week before. I was in Zambia watching the opening game where we lost to Japan. Yes, it's real. It actually happened, okay? We actually lost to a tiny Asian nation. That's what happened. That's the, that, that actually happened. Um, and, uh, and I was watching the game in Zambia with a bunch of guys. There were some American guys there from Chicago, and there were a bunch of other guys. We were watching the game together. And, uh, and the Springboks lost to Japan. We had been building up the Springboks and telling everybody the whole week how we're the number two, sometimes number one team in the world and how good we are and how strong we are. And then we lose to Japan. So as the final whistle goes, guys, just, they don't say anything. They just walk out. 
And I'm sitting there, I'm just sitting in front of the TV, and I'm just mad. I'm just mad, and, uh, and I don't know what to say, and I don't get up right away. I sit there for a little while later, and uh, there's an American guy who uh, works there for Overland Missions. I know him well. His name is Ben, and Ben kind of walks in, and as he walks in, I'm getting up from the couch, and he actually looks at me, and he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, the Springbok's lost, and he actually did this. Okay, I'll see you later. He kind of goes back out. He's like, I'm not up for this fight, right? Uh, there, it, was, it was a hectic day, but last night was better. And one of the things that I love to do, maybe you're the same, uh, is that I love to be an armchair coach. How many, how many of you know there are, everybody can select a better team than Heineken Mayer? Come on, everybody can select a better team. Everybody knows exactly what combinations should be played. Everybody knows exactly how to begin. If you're a soccer fan, everybody always knows which strikers they should have bought instead of the ones that they did buy, or which transfers they should have made, or which players they should have played. And, and, and everybody loves to be an armchair coach. It's part of the fun of, of watching sport. The problem is, though, is that you never actually are tested on your, on your theories, the team that I pick as an armchair coach never takes the field in a World Cup game where my, my job is on the line. I'll, I'll never get ragged in the media for the team that I selected because I, 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 I'm not committing to it. There's no risk in it. And I, I actually saw Heineke Meyer yesterday. I don't know if you guys saw this, but when they were doing the anthems, he finished the anthem and then he just, the anthem was done and he just kept talking. And I know what he was saying. He was going, Jesus, please, Jesus, please, Jesus, don't let us lose another game, Jesus. I can't do this again. You know, just, and, and you could actually see Heineken Mayer praying. In fact, after the game, I don't know how many of you saw, but when he did the interview, they were like, well, this was a bit of performance from a Springbok team. Heineken's like, I just want to thank the Lord. Je Jesus helped us win this game. I don't know if Jesus does do that, but, you know, he could. And uh, I often pray for the Springboks. The point is, the point is that... Uh, it's easy to be an armchair coach. It's easy to sit back and critique and deliver comment and deliver suggestions and never actually get into the game, right? That's the kind of Christianity we want to discourage here at Anchor, where we simply are people who spectate, who sit in chairs, who can critique, who can suggest, but never actually step up to be a part of what God's doing. Question, what prevents you? What prevents you? What is it in your mind or your heart or your life that you feel prevents you from getting in the game? We take a look at Philip in this uh, Acts chapter number eight, how God says, Philip, go out into the desert. And what does Philip do? Does he hesitate? Does he argue? Philip gets up and he goes. It says he rose up and he went straight out into this road in the middle of the desert. And God says to Philip, he, has, he sees this chariot and there's this wealthy Ethiopian eunuch in this, in this chariot. And, and, and God says, by the Spirit, says to him, go and speak to this man. And Philip doesn't hesitate. He has no fear. He goes straight up and he, 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 he hey, do, I hear you're reading the scroll. Do you understand what you're reading? Immediately he engages. And you know what happens in the life of, of Philip? He sees miraculous things happen. More than once, he sees God do incredibly miraculous things. You see, when you put yourself in the game and you actually trust God, that's when you see God moving in a way that you could never have dreamt. Peter's on a boat with the other disciples, these, this band of misfits, and he sees Jesus walking on the water. And he's like, if, if Jesus can do that, surely he can help me do it too. And he says, Jesus, just tell me to come out to you and, and I'll come. And Jesus says, sure. Come out and walk on water. 
Come, Peter. And Peter gets out and he walks on the water. He walks on water to Jesus. Because Jesus called him to it. When we trust God, we'll see miraculous things. When we trust God and put ourselves in the game, even if we fail, I love how Peter is walking on water and all of a sudden he realizes, hey, I'm walking on water and there are big waves and there's wind around and all of a sudden he begins to fear. He takes his eyes off of Jesus and he thinks about himself. And all of a sudden the the miraculous power begins to dissipate and he sinks. But you know, even when Peter sank, Jesus was there to put his hand out and grab him out of the water. Jesus was there to go, Peter, you did it. Don't doubt. Don't doubt, Peter. Don't doubt, Peter. I've called you for great things, Peter. Don't doubt. Don't see yourself uh, incorrectly. Don't evaluate yourself incorrectly. Don't underestimate what I can do in your life. Don't doubt, Peter. Walk with me on water. And a lot of people say that Peter failed in that moment, but Peter's the only one of the disciples who ever walked on water. He's the only one who ever knew what doing that was like. So just like Philip, he, he just obeys. And as he obeys, God does miraculous things. He, he baptizes this uh, Ethiopian eunuch. And, and if I was Philip myself and, and I had gone out there into the middle of the desert and there's this lonely road in the desert and I had found this man and I'd baptized him, I would have been, I would have been pumped. I was like, yes, for this one guy, God sent me out of the desert. But while I was baptizing him, I would probably be thinking to myself, but man, it's a long way home. I've got a long way to walk back through this desert. And I came all the way out here just to baptize one guy. But you know, as he comes up, as he was obedient to God, he's all of a sudden transported supernaturally to a a town 60 kilometers away. Those are the kinds of things that happen when we trust God and we step out on the water or we go out into the desert and we live in this way. I feel as if the majority of people and even Christians today still don't know what it means to live in radical obedience to Christ. We love to come to church. We love to sit in church. We love to listen to the message. We love to be inspired. But do we know what it means to live in radical obedience to Christ? Like, let me, let me give you a, 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 a kind of a, a difficult scenario. If, if God woke you up in the middle of the night tonight and said to you, I am sending you to a tiny village in Uzbekistan. There are only 20 people in this village, but I'm sending you. And I want you to sell everything that you have, and I want you to move to Uzbekistan to go and love those people and and, and spend the rest of your life there. Okay, that's maybe an extreme example, right? But if God said that to you, if God said, I want you to pack up and go, I want you to stay, I want you to to do this, I want you to give that, I want you to to take all the money that you have and and, and give it to Anchor Church. I'm praying that God might be saying that to some of you. Um, (laughs) Uh, whatever, whatever God is saying, it may be just a percentage of what you earn every month. If God says, I want you to give, do we know what it means to live in radical obedience to Christ? If God says, do you see that person? I want you to go pray for them and share the gospel, just like he did with Philip. Go share the gospel with that person. It sounds so easy in scripture for Philip because we're like, oh, the Holy Spirit said, the Bible says it, so it must have been the Spirit. But sometimes we'll sit somewhere and God will show us someone and we'll feel the Spirit telling us to go and pray for them. And we're like, no, that's not God. No, that's just me. That's just, no, 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 they're fine. They're busy. They're on a phone call. I'm not going to do that. Miraculous things happen when we live in radical obedience to Christ. 
God will never allow. The Bible says God is no man's debtor. If you have given, the Bible says God will give to you in return. If you have sacrificed, Jesus says this, no man, if he has sacrificed lands or family or he's left his home, do you not think that God would give him so much more of all of those things? Radical obedience to Christ, walking in faith, trusting Jesus. When are we as a church going to become radically obedient to Christ? In every single generation, without fail, the people who have trusted God in this way are the people who have seen the greatest miracles take place, who have seen the greatest revivals break out. So church, what prevents us? What prevents us, the people in this room right now, from seeing God do those miraculous things? Yesterday, we did the baptisms, and uh, as Chris shared earlier, it was an incredible day. We had a, a summer party. We had tons of people there. There was good food. There was music. We, uh, we had everybody crowd around the pool. Uh, Raynut was on his guitar, uh, and, we, and we baptized and celebrated uh, people yesterday at our, at our baptism party, and um, it was so amazing just to see people make that public declaration. For those of you that still are unaware of what water baptism means, is that it symbolizes the faith that you have publicly, that you have died with Christ of your sins, that you were buried, the elders passed away, and that you have been raised to life in Christ. That's what baptism says. I identify with Jesus. I no longer live my life in my own strength or according to my own power, but I understand that I am in Christ, hidden with Christ in God and sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I'm a new person is essentially what you're saying. My faith is in Jesus is essentially what you're saying. And so we did these, these baptisms yesterday and, and what's so powerful about it is that our faith, contrary to what the world tells us right now, is not a private issue. Your faith is not a private issue. Jesus did not save you so that you can go sit in a corner and think about how saved you are, right? It's just so that you can have a morning devotion by yourself that never affects anyone else. And that's the pressure the world has put on us as Christians and as the church for years. No, your faith is a private issue. Don't, don't tell others about it. Don't share it. Don't let it come out into public. Just keep it to yourself. But our faith is not private, it's public. Christianity is not private, it's public. Now we have a private relationship with God, that's one thing. But we live out our salvation in the context of community. And so people say, well, I believe in Jesus. Why do I need to get baptized? Why do I need to, why do I need to go through the waters and do it in front of everybody? Why does everybody need to know? Because you're supposed to be living out your faith in a community like this one. And if God has called you to be a part of this community of faith, we don't take that lightly. We're not just trying to get bums in seats on a Sunday, even though it's nice to have you here this morning. That's not the main aim. The main aim is that we can journey together and see you fulfill the purpose of God on your life. Does that make sense this morning? When we made the call for the baptisms, we assumed that everybody was kind of aware of the significance of baptism. And we assume that everybody knows what it's all about because it is literally the very first thing that we see in Scripture that, is, that Jesus asks us to do. 
It's the first thing that Jesus asks us to do. In, in Acts 2, verse 37, and we can just uh, throw up that scripture there. Acts 2, verse 37. This is Peter, and Peter is preaching the first gospel message we see after the day of Pentecost. And, and he gets up on the day of Pentecost just after the Holy Spirit's been poured out. And it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So there's the question again, what prevents us? What do we do? Like we're hearing, we're seeing all these miraculous things happening. What shall we do? And it says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized. There it is. You want to experience the fullness of God? Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You want the fullness of God? You want the Spirit of God in your life? It's simple. Just give your life to Him. Repent and be baptized. First commandment. The very first thing that we're called to do as Christians. And so in the early church, People weren't, didn't get saved or start going to church and a while later decide that they were going to follow Jesus and then spend months or years before they actually got baptized. It was an instant thing. It's like, you believe in Jesus? Let's do it. Like the Ethiopian eunuch, here's some water. Let's do it. Let's get baptized. Let's go through those waters. Let's declare it. When Paul was in the jail, in the jail with Silas and the jail breaks open, the jailer's about to kill him. They go out and he goes, and the jailer falls on his feet and he says, what must I do to be saved? And they, they preach the good news of Jesus to him. He goes and the Bible says that very night, he and his whole family was baptized. Our faith is in Jesus. Radical, immediate obedience to the call of God on your life. Don't evaluate yourself. What prevents you? Don't look at your own flaws. What prevents you? Don't feel unworthy. What is it that's preventing you? Just following God. As we were making the call for people to be baptized in these last few weeks, one person after another came to us with this kind of response. And, and, and I took this one from a text, but we literally had a whole bunch of people say this to us. But this is just an idea. This is just an example. Somebody said, I've given baptism a lot of thought. I feel I'm not ready. I haven't been doing enough, or I'm not close enough to God, or I don't know enough. Those are kind of the things that people say. I don't know if I, I need to study baptism out a little bit more. I need to understand all of the nuances of its significance. I need to, I need to come to church more. I need to do more Christian things. I'll wait until next time. We, I can't tell you how many people said this to us. And I'm like, Oaks, we're trying to shape a city here and we're confused about baptism. We're trying to see God do miraculous things and we fall over the first hurdle. Repent and be baptized. How is God gonna use us to shape a nation if we can't even be obedient in the simplest of steps? Do you have faith in Jesus? Yes, let's get baptized. Let's go, let's, let's believe, let's not look at ourselves. The Bible tells us again and again and again, we looked at this in Acts, our sufficiency is not of ourselves, but it is of God. If God says that he died for you, if God says that he qualified you, if God says that he has called you, do not look at yourself in the mirror and say, God cannot use me. It's disobedience. He said it, it's true. Believe him and do what he's called you to do. Don't hesitate. Hey, disciples, leave your nets, follow me. Okay, Jesus, here we come. Hey, Philip, go out into that desert place. Okay, Jesus, I'm on my way. 
if God has qualified you, it's disobedience and faithlessness to see yourself as unworthy or disqualified. Right? I've mentioned the scripture so many times, but one more time today. Disciples come to Jesus. They go, teach us to do the works of God. How do we do the works of God? Jesus says, believe in him whom he sent. You want to do the works of God? Believe in Jesus. Not just that he exists, but what he did for you on the cross and how he qualified you and how he made you righteous and how his blood has forgiven you of your sins and how there is nothing that prevents you from walking in the fullness of what God has for you. I'm quite passionate about this, as you may have noticed, because I have a vision and a dream that I believe is from God. Somebody once said, I heard Judah Smith actually once say that, that our church doesn't have a vision, but God's vision has a church. God has a vision for this city, and he put a church called Anchor Joburg in the middle of it so that we can fulfill that vision. And I feel that vision burning in my heart, and I'm praying that you would feel it in your heart too. But how are we going to do it? if we still don't know if we're worthy enough to be baptized in water. A little bit challenging this morning. But I've got to push you. I've got to encourage you. You know, I go to the gym all the time by myself, but I never train as hard as when I did at school when I had coaches pushing me, pushing me beyond where I wanted to go to have the results that I wouldn't have gotten but wanted all along. And sometimes I've got to say, guys, believe because it's good for you. And you're going to look at your life and you're going to go, there's miraculous things that happen because someone encouraged me to have faith. And I'm hoping that you're feeling encouraged this morning. This Ethiopian eunuch traveling along, along the road, he could have brought up a lot of excuses as to why he wouldn't be worthy for baptism. Number one, it tells us that he is an Ethiopian, which is a, a polite way that the Bible uh, describes someone who was African or black. And these were people specifically from what was then known or understood as kind of the edge of the world, which was northern Sudan. They didn't have a, a, a full, full map at the time. These oaks from northern Sudan, they live on the edge of the world. And he could have thought because he wasn't born a Jew, because he wasn't of the, the, the religious uh, uh, generation or the, or the religious race or, or that he looked different to everybody else in Jerusalem, all of the other Jews, they see this Ethiopian come in with a scroll of Isaiah. Just picture that for a moment. This, this black guy walking into a, a very kind of Middle Eastern synagogue with a scroll saying, hey guys, what's up? I'm just coming to join you this morning. He was an Ethiopian. He wasn't from, from the race, the, the dominant race that, that followed Judaism. Number two, he was a eunuch. If you don't know what that means, Google it. I'm not going to explain it to you right now. Don't Google images, just Google web, web Wikipedia. But he was a eunuch. And we saw when Phil Smithers was here, actually, he, he spoke about that scripture in Leviticus, which spoke about the priests and how you could not serve in the temple as a priest if you were a eunuch or if you were disabled or marred in any way. 
And so he has this disability. So that's point two. Not only is he an African, he's also a eunuch. And point three, he is reading scrolls and has no clue what it's saying. He's trying to understand scripture, but he's like, how am I going to understand this unless somebody actually tells me? You know what? You know what he says when he sees the water after hearing the good news? What prevents me? What prevents me? He understood something about the gospel that I'm really hoping we'll all understand. Because Philip jumps into the chariot and the Bible tells us Philip didn't tell him how to fix his life. Philip didn't tell him what to do in order to be worthy. Philip didn't tell him how many times he must, he must do a certain thing or say a certain prayer. Philip just declares the good news about Jesus, it says. What is the good news about Jesus? Ephesians 2 verse 1, let's read this. It says, and you were dead in, your, in the trespasses and sins in, in which you once walked. You were dead in your sins, dead in your trespasses, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, all of us sinners, all of us godless rebels. But God being rich in mercy, here's the good news, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Baptism, you come up out of the water, even though you were dead in your trespasses, the good news is Jesus makes you alive. By grace, you have been saved. Verse six, and raised up with him and seated and, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, again, through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How powerful is that scripture? That's what, that's what Philip gets up and, and shares. That's the message that Philip gets up and preaches to this Ethiopian eunuch who has every reason to have an excuse as to why God can't use him. And Philip gets up and goes, you were dead in your sins, but God through his grace and his mercy has saved you. So he's reading a scroll, and in the scroll it says, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer, it was silent. And he goes, let me tell you, that sheep, that lamb that was slaughtered, it was Jesus, and he died for you. This, let, me, let me explain how the Old Testament reveals Jesus to you. And he, he picks it up, and essentially I can imagine Philip going, now you can walk in everything that God has for you. So the unit goes, hey, here's some water. They're in a desert, so that's pretty miraculous by itself. But they obviously came along some river or some lake and goes, here's some water. What prevents me? And Philip's answer is nothing. Nothing. You've just heard about Jesus 10 seconds ago. Nothing prevents you. So let's do it. And right there, the unit gets gets baptized in spite of his disability, in spite of his race or his background or, or, or anything else, right now, right here, he does it. He takes a hold of what God has for him. What is preventing you? 
from taking a hold right now, right here, from what God has for you. Some of you have been asking God things for years. Some of you have been battling with certain sins in your life for years. Some of you have been addicted to certain things for years. Some of you have tried to stop smoking a hundred times. What prevents you? Get out and walk on the water. And I'm not telling you what you should be doing or what you should not be doing. I'm telling you what do you want from your life and what do you feel God is calling you to walk in? What prevents you? Trust Him and do it. Radical obedience to Christ. We've got to come to know the power of God, to trust in Him. When the eunuch is done being baptized, Philip disappears. <laughs> and he's like, okay, that's weird. He's gone. But the Bible says he comes up out of the water rejoicing. And there is a very deep joy in the things that God has called us to. There's a very deep joy in, in obeying Jesus. Even when it feels like it costs us up front, when you experience uh, the purpose of God in your obedience, there is a, you are filled with a joy and purpose like nothing else in life can give you. You won't know until you go. You won't know until you try. You won't know until you get out of the water and see what Jesus can do. I want to encourage you this morning to stop looking at yourself and asking, what can God possibly do with me? And to start looking at Jesus and believing that all things are possible. Do we believe that, church? That He could use this tiny group of people to shape a city? That He could use you to reach your family? That He can use you to reach your colleagues? That He can use you to bring change in your family, in your life, in your surroundings, that He can use you to bless people, that He can use you to lead and develop and equip others, that He can use you to make disciples like He called you to. All we need to do is move when God calls us to move. I want to show you one last scripture this morning and then I'll be done. And I just love this passage of scripture because it's in the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter number one. It's when God calls Jeremiah uh, as, a, as a prophet. And uh, a lot of scholars believe that at this time, Jeremiah was only in his 20s, uh, very, very young, even possibly early 20s. And Jeremiah in 1 verse 4, uh, it shows us how God calls Jeremiah. And it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, to Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. I'm just going to pause there for one moment. We can just keep that scripture up there. But how incredible is that? We looked at Psalm 139 a few weeks back. How God knew your unformed substance and intricately wove you together in your mother's womb. And every one of your days was ordained before there was one of them. And here God shows what he does with your life and what he did with your life. You're not here just because your parents decided to have a baby. Or maybe they didn't decide and you were surprised, you know. You, that's not why you're here. You are here because the Bible says, God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. 
God created every one of us in that way. He knew you before you were even formed. And he said, I have a calling for you, specific to your life. He goes on and he says, uh, Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah answers, he says, Then I said, Oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. <laughs> He's like, I formed you. I, I declared before you were born, you're a prophet to the nations. And he's like, uh... God, I don't know how to talk. You know, I don't know how to speak. How am I going to prophesy to nations? This sounds like a, a massive ask of me. I'm just a young guy, Jeremiah basically says. For to all whom, sorry, verse 7. But the Lord said to me, do not say, do not say, I am only a youth. Don't say that, Jeremiah. Don't say, I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Radical obedience. Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, wrong prophet. Jeremiah, don't look at yourself and your ability. Go where I tell you to go and say what I tell you to say. That's all you need to do. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. You see, it's not our words. It's not our intelligence. It's not our arguments. It's not our reasoning. God says, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah is this young 20-year-old going, really? I'm going to pluck up nations? And build others? You're going to use me? To, I'm, I don't even know how to speak good. And you're going to use me to, to do these things? Then God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, what do you see? What do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. That almond branch is a prophetic picture of, uh, of, of when spring comes around. You know how we even all over spring, we have one, our neighbors actually has one in their garden. And a couple of weeks before you even know spring is around, these little white and pink blossoms start coming out of them. Have you seen any of those, those trees? Like real early in spring, these trees are so excited about spring. Like no other tree is excited about spring yet. And this tree is like, I'm ready for it. And God says, do you see the almond branch? You know how when you see those flowers starting to come out, you realize spring is around the corner. Even though it still feels cold, even though it still feels like it's winter, spring is coming. And God says, Jeremiah, I have called you to do certain things. What do you see? He goes, I see an almond branch, God. He goes, yes, that's right, because the seasons are changing. I'm getting ready to do something, and I'm watching over my word, the word I spoke over your life, to perform it. What do we see this morning? What is our vision this morning? Do we see the almond branch? Do we understand that God is the one who performs His word and will complete and fulfill every bit of His purpose for our lives and for Anchor Church? Do we see it? Do we have the vision? Are we ready to get off of our armchairs and get in the game and say, God, if you called me to reach people, I'm going to reach people. If you've called me to give, I'm going to give. If you've called me to serve, I'm going to serve. If you've called me to, 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 to disciple, I'm going to disciple. 
If you call me to be in the game, I'm going to get up out of the armchair. I'm going to stop looking at myself in the mirror. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. And I'm going to say, do, Lord, whatever it is that you want to do. Just go where I tell you to go and say what I tell you to say. I am with you. Do we believe that this morning? God's going to do miraculous things when we step out in faith and obedience. He's going to do miraculous things. I'm telling you this morning, God is going to do it. You're a part of something miraculous. Your life is a miracle. Let's see God and walk with God and see Him do far greater than we could have imagined. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray together.